everyone and welcome to the Baked Beans podcast. Today I'm doing a solo episode at the park so you can probably hear a lot of birds and trees rustling and trains going by. So I'm sorry for the poor audio quality. But the reason I'm doing this solo podcast is because whilst editing my last podcast, I realized just how poor my communication skills were. I said like so many times, I paused so many times, and I just couldn't get my point across very efficiently or effectively. So today I'm just going to be practicing explaining myself. So I would just be talking about random thoughts that pop into my mind, and I'll be trying to articulate them as best as I can. First of all, as a disclaimer, I'm just going to say that these are all personal thoughts that I've done absolutely no research on. So in no way whatsoever is what I'm saying right now the absolute truth or absolute facts. I'm not going to be spitting facts here today. And if anyone has any thoughts to contribute to anything that I'm about to say, then please talk to me about it because I love talking about things like this and I love hearing other people's opinions so yeah the first thing that I want to talk about is why no one should want to be a billionaire I actually saw a tiktok that prompted me to make this actually it was rather numerous tiktoks that inspired me to make this the most recent one I saw last night and in this tiktok this guy was like I'm living in a world where I can't travel the world because of these measly tiny green slips of paper. So basically he was saying that we have all these resources available and all these fun opportunities out there. But because of something as small as money, he is unable to travel the world and experience all these things the world has to offer. And in the comments I saw an overwhelmingly large number of responses of people agreeing with him. But here's the thing, right? Technically, money by itself means nothing. Money is simply a way for you to trade your own expertise for someone else's. Let's say I'm a woodworker. Let's just say my talent isn't woodworking. I make things out of wood and then I give them to people, right? So I'm making things out of wood. And I give my wood to a baker. And the baker is like, oh, thank you for this thing that you've made for me out of wood. In exchange, I'll give you some bread. And that's great. So I'm trading my expertise for this baker's expertise. However, if I wanted clothes, for example, I would have to find a tailor or seamstress who also happens to want a wood creation of mine so that we could swap in that same sort of sense. But let's just say I found a seamstress, but they don't want anything made out of wood. So I'm like stumped. I have all these things made out of wood and the seamstress has all these clothes and I want the clothes, but the seamstress doesn't want my wood. So what do we do? We introduce money, something of value, but has no meaning of its own. So that I can exchange my woodcrafts into money and give it to the seamstress. And then the seamstress can use that money to buy whatever she wants. So technically when you're spending money, you're just expending your own effort and time and creations 
in exchange for other people's time and effort and creations. So let's just say this guy from this TikTok found someone who builds planes and that person built him a plane and he found a pilot and he found people that makes airplane fuel or whatever an airplane runs on and he gathers all these people and all the other necessary components for traveling around the world and they all do this service to him then sure nobody is stopping him from traveling the world but it's just that what is he going to offer to all these people for their time and effort and the most common thing that he can offer that's universally accepted by all is money so bring this back to the point that i was saying before why no one should want to be a billionaire i think my personal opinion is that there is nothing that one person can do that is worth the cumulative effort that equates to one billion dollars Another thing that I wanted to talk about was why science is not the antithesis to religion. Which is something that I actually thought about for a long time. I always thought that science and religion were opposites. And I couldn't grapple my head around why or how they could coexist simultaneously. And why some people could believe in both at the same time but recently i've been exploring more into spirituality and witchcraft and i finally found the answer for myself first of all a shocking revelation that changed my perspective was something that i actually saw in a reddit thread so basically this person said that there are many philosophical schools of thought that say that the only thing separating reality from non-reality is consistency for example dreams the main thing that's different in dreams is that things don't work the way that you're used to for example there's always this thing in dreams where if you look at your phone it just doesn't work or if you look at a watch it doesn't tell you the time So in that sense, it's not consistent with what we know. Every time we look at our phone, we expect it to work. Every time we look at a clock, we expect to see the time, right? But because in dreams it doesn't work that way, often it's a telltale sign that it's not reality. But then, in the scientific method, nowhere does it say that consistency is a key part of science. I actually took a science and pseudoscience course in university, And the main topic of that subject was to dictate what is science and what is pseudoscience. So in doing that, we learned about the scientific method. And obviously there's more to this than what I'm about to describe. Because the whole reason we had that course was because there's a lot of debate about what is science and what is pseudoscience. Because the scientific method is so vague. And the key component of the scientific method is empirical data. For example, evidence. And technically, evidence in and of itself has nothing to do with consistency. And I think evidence and consistency can be separated. Okay, and here's why. Because when we learned science in school, we were taught that accuracy of an experiment is dictated by how many times you repeat the experiment. And then the end result was taken as an average of all those repetitions. 
So in that sense, consistency is very important in the scientific method. And in addition to that, so for a scientific theory or law to be valid, it needs to be applicable in all sorts of scenario, in every scenario. For example, gravity. Gravity works the same way. Gravity is very dependent on mass. On planets that have a bigger mass, there's more gravity. On planets with less mass, there's less gravity. And gravity on Earth is always negative 9.8 meters per second. And gravity works the same way, even when we don't expect it to. For example, gravity can bend light. I might be butchering this explanation, but Albert Einstein proposed a theory that the whole universe exists on a plane, and then planets with a bigger mass actually weigh down on that plane, similar to how a bowling ball would weigh down on trampoline, where the trampoline is a plane and the bowling ball is like a planet or a star or something of a high density. And it's actually been proven that the light from one side of the planet will reach the observer on the other side of the planet in a way that suggests that light curves around the planet due to its gravity. I feel like when I learnt that fact, I found that to be pretty surprising. But when you break down the science behind it, it actually works very well with the theory of gravity, I guess, or the law of gravity. So in that sense, gravity works even when we don't expect it to. So what I'm trying to say is, consistency is important to the scientific method. But I don't think that it is the most important thing. Because at the end of the day, science is just a method of explaining the external. So let's just say we see a certain phenomenon happen in the natural world many, many times. And we want an explanation for it. So we use science to try and explain what's actually going on. Let's just use the example of gravity again. So I have a ball, and I'm on a high place. Every time I drop the ball, the ball will go down to the ground. And so if I want to know why it does that, gravity explains it. But this is not to say that things that only happen once are less true than the things that are happening repeatedly. I'm going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in this because Christianity is the only religion that I know even like just a basic level about. So resurrection in scientific terms is impossible. There is no way that a living thing can die and then come back without medical aid. That's just science. But I actually went to this lecture where this guy explained exactly why Jesus Christ's resurrection was actually true. And he used copious amounts of evidence like the different scriptures written by the disciples and the similarity between all of them as well as written eyewitness accounts and he used idiosyncrasies in the disciples language in each of the recounts of jesus resurrections to make a very solid point like even i had to say as an atheist in that time listening to his lecture i was convinced but the only thing in the back of my mind was that resurrection in that sense is impossible by the means of today's science but what i failed to think about was that what i failed to realize was that one of the main reasons why resurrection is not scientifically studied is because at least to my knowledge it only happened once but let's just say in a world where it happened on the daily then of course it would be something that's scientifically explored
So I guess what I'm trying to say with these examples is that consistency is a good tool in the scientific method to have evidence and gather examples in order to explain an external happening. But consistency should not be the hallmark of reality. Just because something only happened once doesn't mean it didn't happen. And science is only a tool to explain external events. There are many things that science hasn't even discovered yet. Things about space, for example. Things about particles, for example. Very small particles. And that's why string theory is such a popular topic of debate. Because it explains a field of science that is largely undiscovered. If string theory were true, it would open up the possibilities to many things that we once thought were against science as well. Like time travel and even teleportation. So at the end of the day, science is limited, and it's definitely not the end-all be-all of whether something is real or true. So by not putting science or religion on a pedestal that overshadows the other, I think that science and religion can and is coexisting in the same time and place. And I think that you can be religious and still be a person of science, and you can be a scientist and still be religious. Personally, I've been dabbling into witchcraft and just general spirituality these days. I've been trying many different manifestation techniques. So for those who are unfamiliar with manifestation, it's basically where you put intent out into the universe by purposefully thinking about something that you want or writing about something that you want basically declaring your intention to the universe and this sends vibrations that aligns with the object of your desires and then the universe will naturally bring you and this thing that you desire together and regardless of whether my manifestations have come true or not i think that the act of manifesting itself has brought me a lot of good because a key component of manifesting is that you have to be able to let go of the thing that you want So you can't be thinking about it constantly and you can't be desperate about it because the fact that you're desperate about it shows that there's a gap between you and the thing that you want. Whereas manifesting, you're basically aligning your vibrations with the thing that you want. So you're acting like you already have it. So in that way, the act of manifesting has just generally made me calm down a lot. Whenever I want something, I think about it deeply for some time and then I let go. And then I just believe that it's going to come to me. And whether it comes to me or not, it definitely saves me a lot of time just agonizing over the thing that I want. And it's created a lot of mental space in my head. So whether you want to believe in manifestation or not, it still has very real effects that I can feel. The other day, I saw this TikTok. (laughs) I don't know why everything that I say has to refer to a TikTok in some way. It just, it is what it is. The other day I saw a TikTok that was talking about past life regressions, where basically by meditating, you can see who you were in the past life. And I tried it, and I did see who I was in my past life. I was a teenage girl, maybe 16 or 17, and this was in around the 60s. And my father died when I was quite young. I would say around 10 or something. And my father's death really put a strain on me and my mother's relationship, as well as my own mental health. So to cope with that, 
I depended entirely on my boyfriend and completely neglected my relationship with my mother. The first scene that I saw in that past life regression was me lying in a field with my boyfriend and we were watching the sunset and then I genuinely felt very happy and content. And then the second scene was me coming home and seeing my mother washing the dishes in the kitchen and then she turned around to face me but right before she completely faced me that's when the memory stopped and the third and final memory that i had was me dying in a hospital bed and at the time of my death i was 16 or 17 and then my mother was crying hysterically by my side and my boyfriend was there too he was standing there And then on my deathbed, I finally, finally realized how much my mother cared for me and how much harm that I did to her by neglecting our relationship, especially after my father's death, because she had absolutely no one to depend on. And then I remember I died full of regret. And whether or not I actually believe that this was me in a past life, which I do, by the way, I genuinely do believe that that happened in one of my past lives but regardless of that i think it still taught me a very important lesson that is applicable to the life that i'm living now the lesson that i took away from that is that i should accept all different types of love whether that's romantic platonic or from family and i think that's very important to me now because i often have a hard time accepting acts of affection I feel very uncomfortable. I feel like as someone with Asian parents, it came from the expression of our parents' love as children, where they expressed it very unconventionally, not through physical affection or words of affirmation, but through, I guess, what you would call tough love. I think that my past life regression has reminded me to try and actively move past that because it's something that is hindering me in my day-to-day life. So whether or not someone else thinks that my past life regression was real, or just a series of made-up images that my mind conducted in a deep meditative state, I feel like it has long-lasting repercussions that will not only affect my life and how I act, but other people's lives because it will affect how I treat other people from now on. So I guess that ends the portion about science and religion. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is the fact that whenever you ask someone else for their opinion, you actually already know what you want. You just want that person to confirm or deny what you think. And obviously when you're in the midst of making that decision, you don't think that this is true. But after you've made that decision, you can see this very clearly. That when you were trying to make that decision, you actually already knew what you wanted. And I have two examples from my life that coincide with this. The first one is more trivial. And the last one is, I guess, more significant. So the first one is basically, one time in year 12, I was carrying a binder full of all of my books and notes and worksheets and I accidentally dropped it in the train tracks. And keep in mind that this binder had all of my work in it from year 12. And at that time, it seemed like life or death to me, whether I got that binder back. 
and I was seriously considering jumping down into the train tracks. And then I was asking Cindy and Louisa about this. And I was like, I'm going to go down. I'm just going to jump down and get it. I'm just going to do it. This is in North Sydney Station. The trains there are pretty frequent. They come once every couple of minutes, five minutes max. And I was like, yep, I'm just going to find a gap. I'm just going to find that five minute gap and then go down, get it and then come back up. First of all, it's dangerous. And second of all, it would probably attract a lot of commotion if this year 12 energy just jumped into the train tracks amongst a lot of other people, students especially. And I, rem- and I remember asking Cindy and Louisa, like, oh, should I go down there? Should I do it? And they are like, no, obviously not. What the fuck? Get someone to help you. And then I ended up just asking someone to help me. And I didn't jump down to get it myself. At the time when I was considering going down into the train tracks, I seriously thought that going down and asking for help was a 50-50 chance. And so that's why I needed to ask Cindy and Louisa what I should do. But then in hindsight, there is no way I would have jumped down into the tracks. As important as schoolwork is, it would have been incredibly dangerous. And the risk involved is just absolutely not worth the reward. The risk of being me dying in the train track, possibly scarring Cindy and Louisa for life, and delaying the train schedule by a long time in rush hour. And the reward being me getting my folder back right then and there, as opposed to maybe waiting a couple weeks for someone to go down and get it for me. And when I asked Cindy and Louise, I knew they would be like, don't jump down, don't do it. I knew that's what they they would say, but I still asked them because I wanted them to tell me not to do it so I'd have a reason to not do it because I didn't want to go down and get my photo. So that's one example. That was a trivial example. And I have another, I guess, more serious example recently. We're in Melbourne. Before I came up to Sydney, I was wondering if I should stay in Melbourne and just transfer to RMIT for communication design, or if I should transfer to UTS and do visual communication. And I was debating this for like a long time. I asked people about their experience. I looked online. I thought about it. I did a pros and cons list. I talked to Ashley extensively about this. And it was only when Ashley said, I think deep down you want to go back to Sydney, that I realized, actually, yeah, she's right. Deep down, I do want to go back to Sydney. And so that's when I made the decision that I'm going to transfer to UTS instead of RMIT. But I remember thinking back to the numerous times I was talking to Ashley about this decision. I was so worried. I was like, oh my god, I need to decide this or else I'm going to run out of time and then 2021 is going to start and then I'm not going to know what I'm doing and it's going to be so bad. But in hindsight, I realized that I knew what I wanted. There were just so many other factors that made me hesitant. But it still didn't change the fact that I ultimately do want to move back to Sydney. And I think this concludes the podcast for today. Bye.